I like to say that the entrepreneurial journey isn't like a straight line up. It's sometimes like a corkscrew and sometimes you end up going back, you know, and then as long as you make the turn and you keep going, you know, make the turn to go higher. Uh, that's the way to do it. That's cool. That's some wisdom, man. I know you got a lot of it from, from doing what you do. This is the real estate podcast, a show by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Let's hear from our host, Matt Teifke and Alex Kaufman. We are here. This is the Real Estate Podcast. Michael Flight, man. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, hope you're doing well today. And just a quick intro, we're going to be getting into uh, uh, triple net lease, shopping centers, retail centers that, that you're invested in and involved with at a deep level, blockchain, and uh, super pumped, man. So thank you for coming on our show today. Thanks, Matt. Really appreciate you inviting me. Really yeah. uh, honored to be here. Absolutely. Well, to, to get started, if you don't mind, um, wherever you want to start off, but we'd love to hear you know, how you got to where you are today. A quick overview of your journey, and then I'll dive in with some questions here and there, and uh, we'll figure out ways to uh, provide value for our listeners, get to know you better, and uh, let you take the floor if that's cool. Sure. No problem. I uh, have been in the real estate business since around 1985. Uh, you know, I was in college. I think it was around a, a junior or so in college. My brother and I uh, went to a weekend nothing down seminar. And uh, we figured out that if you don't have like a regular job and stuff, you it's really hard to buy real estate nothing down. Uh, so I went and while I was still going to college and finishing up my bachelor's degree, went and got my um, real estate broker's license and took a few elective courses uh, towards the real estate broker's license. And one of them was um, real estate investing. And uh, that was taught by a guy who ended up being a mentor of mine. And I worked for him rehabbing apartments in you know different na neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Uh, from there, I graduated. Uh, my father died when I was a senior in college. So I was kind of under the gun to get a job. And uh, I went out and became a commercial real estate broker. And uh, the when looking at commercial real estate, there's a long lead time in selling things. Uh, there's less of a lead time if you're doing, you know, leasing, commercial property leasing. Uh, and what I noticed was that with retailers, you could potentially do, um, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 stores with one retailer if you developed a relationship with a retailer. So to, to give you an example, um, we had a tenant uh, contact us yesterday on, on one of our properties in the Chicago area. And, uh, you know, the leasing agent gave them all the information for, you know, the space available. And I was copied on it uh, because they originally contacted me. And, uh, you know, the, uh, and so the lease, I told the leasing agent to ask them if they're, you know, company owned or franchised. And so we got a response back from the broker uh, this morning and they're franchised, but they're big enough that they, they're in multiple states and they're going to do 50 stores, up to 50 stores in the Chicago market. So that's the type of thing if, you know, uh, where I say you can make a lot of money uh, in a quick, easy time versus going door to door, doing one office lease. But um, so that's real, how I got real into quick. Real estate. Real quick, on, on that, I was on the flip side of that. I worked at a retail brokerage called Edge. 
Okay. And um, it was a pretty good, uh, reputable firm. We had all kinds of clients. This was right out of uh, college for me. And uh, they showed me their tenant list sheet and it's like Gold's Gym, Dick's Sporting Goods, you know, Blaze Pizza, all these re- advanced auto. And right. so I was on the flip side where I was brought in as a junior broker and I'd have, uh, th- those were some of my accounts. Advanced Auto was one that was really active, Blaze Pizza and Gold's Gym. And we would literally be on the exact opposite side. So I know exactly what you're talking about, where we would have, they would say, hey, we want to open, you know, six stores between Austin and San Antonio in the next year. We would create these maps, uh, identify right. trade areas, and then we'd zone in on them. And uh, it was it was fascinating. It, it wasn't something that I loved. I, I don't uh, think there's anything wrong with it. But it, it, to me, it was it was a little too corporate. Like I wasn't out being entrepreneurial within real estate. I, I almost truly felt like I was working like within their real estate department. Right, because they, they the, the the dirty secret and, and a lot of people don't know it is that um, most of these national retailers only have a few people on their real estate staff. They used to have yeah these giant research departments like Sears had, you know, yeah. demographics. But you know, it's much easier to pull all that stuff down. But now they've subbed it all out to to brokers across the country. Yeah, and they can get a lot more stores done. And then was, the other thing is a lot of times they'll have like a national broker and then they'll work with, you know, yeah. local brokers like, like edge and stuff. So it's, it was, it was uh, super frustrating it, it, to your point of like nothing against these people, but there were the real estate managers, right? right? And they made a salary and, you know, they were good at, at knowing what their company did for the most part. I'm sure everyone's a little different, but it was like these guys, the ones that I was around, I was like, these aren't even true real estate guys. And they're the one, they're, they're technically our client or our boss in a sense. And like Advance Auto, for example, they'd come to town, you know, they, they had a price they could pay at the time. It was like 550000 in Austin for an acre, call it. Right. And we would go and most of the time, the stuff we'd be doing would be off market because all these pads, there's not a bunch of them available where we're at. And so right. he would be like, call on that office, that three-story office building and see if they'll sell. And I'm like, there's, first of all, they're, they're probably not. Second of all, we'd never be able to afford it. Um, but I got to go and still get the right. answer. And it right. was so flushed. I'm like, no, I already know this. They, they definitely will not. Like, let's yeah. look at something else, you know? So it was, it was a really interesting way. And, and we had to do what they said and we had to get the answers. I don't know if they knew it or not or didn't care or what, but it felt like a ton of wasted time. Um, I think a lot of times they have to put together reports. Uh, so I, I will say that I've had relationships with some, you know, tenant reps uh, and they, they move around a lot. So they might start out at advanced auto or uh, a smaller company and then, you know, work their way up. Uh, and then I've, I've had relationships for 30 years with guys that, you know, like the head of Joanne Fabrics real estate, he unfortunately just passed away, but that guy was there probably for close to 55 years or so. And I, I knew him, you know, since the mid eighties and he was just a, a prince of a guy. So um, it, it really depends. Some of them know real estate, in the back of their mind, like, um, you know, I, there was a guy that uh, there was, there was a company that used to be called fashion bug. 
and uh, this guy, uh, and I'm not even sure where he's at anymore, but Alan Waxman, but you could mention a corner almost anywhere in the country and he would tell you all the tenants and stuff. And and I have that kind of, I'm really more of a geographic memory. So, you know, I can remember, you know, who's where and, you know, that that's the way I remember it. But with, I've noticed with, you know, Google Maps and stuff, when you're not actually in the market, you don't actually drive the market, you don't really know it. And then the other problem is with the um, GPS now, you're really like when I was driving, you know, it used to be with a map. And so you'd know what the whole, you know, city was like you'd you know, fly in, rent your car and you knew where stuff was and you draw it all out on a map and you could, rem- you know, I could remember the stuff a lot better with GPS. Um, you're really not paying attention almost to the way you're driving, you know, you're really not paying attention to, so it's a little bit different, um, but it makes it a lot easier. You can do a lot more markets with, you know, Google maps and uh, GPS. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's super important to kind of get the lay of the land and know where you're going, but you're, you're totally right on. I think even myself, I'm in the GPS era. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, some, even, you know, unfortunately some places in Austin, I'm like, let me type this in and figure out how to get there. And I, you know, when you stop using that and you step back, you realize, oh man, you can really get this down pretty quickly if you're just thinking about it. Right. I mean, you know, I, and maybe it's just me because I do know certain people don't have a sense of direction, but I, um, I would rather know, you know, what direction I'm in. I, I would rather, you know, and so I can even remember, you know, foreign countries, it's like, oh yeah, that's, you know, to the North and that's to the South. And, um, but it's just the way I I'm built to think. I yeah. Think. That's so, cool, man. Yeah. It's, I did that, you know, retail world for three years, so I don't talk about it often. Uh, <laughs> and so it's interesting to get back into it for a little bit, but, um, so you were, you obviously been doing this for a long time and you were, you know, doing this in the eighties, like what, how did things, uh, progress to where you're at, you know, at this point moving forward to today? Well, I started, um, I got a job offer from a national syndicator in the late 80s, uh, and they were based out of Philadelphia, and they owned about 270 shopping centers nationwide. And so I was doing leasing, um, asset management, and redevelopment for them in the Midwest. Uh, And so I learned about things, you were saying, you know, like, they tell you to do stupid things, you know, on the, the tenant side. Um, while working for the other side. And I can also tell you, um, working with, you know, uh, different partners, every once in a while, your partner will get a, a, you know, a crazy idea. So anyway, um, with that, I learned, you know, from the uh, ownership side, how to do things and how to negotiate things. And I learned that the larger you scale, the easier it is to do your leasing, because you might have a really good shopping center here and you might have a little bit of a lesser you know stellar shopping center in a different market uh but if it's a national tenant you can say well let's do you know five or six deals all together we'll wrap them in and so they really want the good you know property and you can kind of push them into the less than stellar properties too that's cool that's really yeah. cool yeah so have a little leverage uh because well, and the real estate guys they i mean the other thing is a lot of these tenants that are expanding need to expand and they have you know, uh, a, a certain amount of um, capital that they budgeted. And yep. so they not only have to place that capital, but they have to open stores. Uh, and, you know, Wall Street, 
you know, if they if they are going to if they're owned by private equity and they're going to be spun out, they need to open a bunch of stores to show sales growth. And Wall Street wants to see sales growth. And a lot of people, when they're looking at and investing in these, you know, stocks, don't really pay attention to same same store sales. They just pay attention to, oh, wow, the sales are really going up. Uh, what you really the best metric for retailers is same store sales growth. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm glad you touched on that. And I know all brokers, you know, that are doing it and active, they they know this and they experience it. But that was another one of my frustrations. Was for example, Advanced Auto, we had all these deals lined up under contract, you know, about to be under contract, going to committee and all that kind of stuff. You know, uh, earnings come out, revenues down no more stores, you know, 13 deals of mine gone. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. what would have been my whole year of, you know, essentially a salary or not a salary, but money making gone. Right. And right. I was like, wow, I didn't know. Like literally every one of them, they pulled the plug on. I was like, okay. This episode is brought to you by House Max Funding. House Max is one of the fastest growing hard money lenders in America, specializing in loans that provide you the cash needed to fund flips, buying holds and ground up construction projects house max gives you the ability to compete with all cash buyers and increase your velocity by closing in seven to ten business days if you're looking for cheap hard money and a relentless originator who will make sure your deal gets funded call or text bryce tennyson today 512-627-6192 bryce is a great friend of ours he actually funds all of our hard money uh, loans and uh, he'll get the job done for you uh, so make sure you give him a call. Back to the episode. Yeah. yeah. So it's fat. So yeah. It, it goes back to diversification. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. 100%. And then um, the uh, savings and loan crisis hit. And Texas was probably hit the worst by the savings and loan crisis in 1989, uh, 1990, 1991. Um, so a recession happened. And I was laid off. And from my relationships at the National Syndicator, uh, some of the people that I worked with went and you know became the head of asset management for you know some large insurance companies. Another guy that I worked with who ended up being my partner for you know more than 16 years, uh, he went and got a job with a publicly or it was a uh, it's a publicly traded uh, pension fund consortium based out of Holland. Um, and so, and I, and there were some other relationships that I had. So we grew our business rapidly. We started out in leasing and management and then took, uh, operating positions and ownership positions in properties. So we were basically brought in and we could, uh, earn into the property, uh, and bring most of the, so the other, you know, partners would bring in the capital via the insurance company, be it a hedge fund. Uh, we've worked with family offices, one family office we've worked with now, uh, since 1990. So 31 years, um, you know, we've worked with, uh, you know, pension funds and all the rest of that stuff. So, you know, you, when you talk about, well, they tell you to go out and, you know, buy an office building and it doesn't make sense. You know, we have the same situation where, uh, every once in a while, especially dealing with a larger institution, you know, they'll cycle some of those people through and, uh, you know, somebody will come in and they'll say, hey, this is a great, you know, property. Why don't you go call like Barnes and Noble? And um, so at the time, I'm like, well, 
since they're my partner, I don't want, you know, them to know that I didn't call Barnes and Noble, but it's a stupid thing. So I got, I had a friend who was head of real estate for Barnes and Noble. I call him up and I say, Hey, we have this property in a suburb of Chicago and uh, uh, we've got this great, you know, location here. uh, But I know what your demographic profile is. And he goes, "Um, people in Berwyn don't read. So we're not going to do a store there. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so, hey, you got to get that in. You, yeah, you got to have them answer on it so you can at least say they right, looked at there's it. There's also a fine line because you don't you don't want to be um, the guy that's sending out packages and calling up, you know, tenants and saying, oh, I've got this great location for you, Neiman Marcus. And it's, you know, in the middle of the hood, you know, th- that's you don't want to be that guy because they're never going to take your call again. Right. So you have to explain to, you know, your partners or, you know, your ownership groups that um, there's a fine line between, you know, can maintaining a relationship. And you also have to maintain relationships with brokers uh, because I, you know, had I just had somebody ask me, it's like, well, you know, we have a relationship with them. Why don't we just call this uh, other guy who's, uh, you know, at the headquarters and talk to him. I'm like, well, there's a broker involved. So I, you know, even though, you know, and I've known this broker for, you know, 25 years, I'm not going to call up the guy who I know, you know, from the headquarters because it, it's just bad form. And, yeah. you know, that, that broker is never going to bring another deal to your, to your center if you've got a shopping center. Right. Yeah. That's a, uh... Learning through experience and and knowing the game that all that stuff comes into play. The big thing in in any real estate, no matter if you're doing houses and flipping houses, or if you're wholesaling, or you know if you're doing multifamily apartments, or if you're doing, you know, uh, commercial real estate, corporate real estate, it's a relationship game. Right. And uh, you know, I have had relationships that didn't go well. Um, you know earlier on and I, you know, still can't get a deal done with those people. And then there's relationships that I've had, you know, for more than 30 years that, you know, I can call them up on the phone and say, Hey, what do you think about this? And they're like, um, I don't like that, but can you get me the corner across the street? And yeah. so that's how you expand your business through those relationships. Yeah. It's fascinating, man. I feel very blessed that I learned that. Um, I think I learned it through commercial real estate because I couldn't get any of these brokers to call me back when I was supposed to get info. So I started meeting them and then they would call me back. But mm-hmm. I'm in a position now, I'm a broker of a company here and we're trying to grow. Uh, so we're always trying to meet new agents. However, I just want to go meet people. Like I literally spend 85% of my time having coffee, lunches, trying to figure out how to add value, staying in touch. And when you're a true real estate person who's been around, you understand that value. Right. And so I like reach out to people and they're like, hey, Matt, sorry, I don't want to join your brokerage. And I'm like, that's totally fine. There's a lot more that we can do. Yeah. Um, or why are you why are you calling me? You're a broker. It's like, man, these guys, these people don't get it. Like there's a million things happening. Maybe they even though I'm a broker, I try to tell them, like, you don't think you see deals that I don't see. And I'm more than happy for you to represent me. Uh, yeah. But it's that's frustrating because like. I don't know. It's so obvious when you get it, like there's a lot going on. Um, there's, there's ways to co-broker, whatever. Referral opportunity. I mean, it, it might not be, you know, your area of concentration. So, you yeah. know, 
um, you want the best for that client. So it's like, hey, I don't, I don't do office or I don't do, you know, industrial or something like that. But here's somebody that I know, Matt Teifke. He knows everything about Austin, Texas. Contact him and, you know, you're in good hands. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's just interesting. I'm just venting on that a little bit. But it's oh. cool when people get it. Because uh, like you said, and, and uh, I do think that that relationship and simplest concepts of like staying in touch, do what you say you're going to do and be around, like you'll go a long way in this business, but it takes time. It takes, because when you're, when you're around people are like, Oh, you know, Michael's, Michael's here to stay. Like he's not, there's all these flyby nights that I see. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic. Well, and that's the biggest problem with real estate. I, I think, um, and especially what I see today, um, because there's way more access to information and there's way more, uh, everybody's a guru and everybody's got a program and everybody's like, you know, has seminars and things like that. And all I see is, oh, you know, I'm killing it. I got, you know, 50 doors, 500 doors, uh, you know, especially in the multifamily. And it kind of cracks me up because I, I do go to some multifamily conferences and uh, it seems like everybody's the same GP and the same like 800. Yeah, I got 5,000, you got 5,000 doors. Like, you mean you have 0.001% of 5,000 doors, but you're going to claim all these doors. Yeah, no, I, and so, I, I mean, God bless them if they can make it work. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm really looking for, and I know uh, some of the pitfalls with real estate. I mean, we have had, I'm not, and this is what I tell in all of our prospective partners. I say, you know, we haven't had everything bad happen to us. But we have had so many bad things, you know, go sideways. Uh, and we've worked them out that if we can't solve the problem, we've got an entire network of people that can solve the problem. Because, you know, we've had, well, you don't know, but we've had, you know, environmental problems from underground storage tanks to asbestos to uh, on one of them, they decided in the 1950s, it was a good idea to like spray petroleum on the gravel underneath the, the base of the parking lot. So which leached into the water system. Uh, we had one with the, uh, the the national syndicator I worked for. It was downriver from a PCB plant. So they could never ever in the it, what was funny was they continued to own the property. And they just stopped paying on the mortgage because the lender wouldn't foreclose on it because the lender didn't want anything to do with it. Wow. Yeah. So you've been, you've been through a lot. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's, and I know it's a, well, it's a mix of like experience, but also time with like what you said, saving and loan crisis, you know, the, the financial collapse in 2007, you know, that era. Um, what's, what's interesting from my perspective is I feel like I've been doing this forever 13 years in mm -hmm. but i'm still like such a rookie in the sense that and and i know this is probably and i'd get you'd love to get your opinion probably somewhat unprecedented but like i started in 2012 and it's been good ever since yeah and so as much as i want to say i've been around i've been doing it, it's like i have no clue about this whole other world that exists of what happens when the deals stop coming and then the, the weirder part for me is I'm very cognizant of that. I try to, you know, learn from other people's mistakes and not just go get over leverage and do all these deals. And I don't want to be the guy that's like the typical, like it ain't ever slowing down, but it, 
it, where I'm at, it actually feels like that. Like we're getting a massive amount of jobs in Austin, a massive amount of people. It's still relatively affordable. And I'm like, I don't know how to go about this. Like it, it seems like we're going to grow for 20 years, but yeah, I, history I, says no chance. Point out how smart you are that you started two years in after a, uh, a major downturn. So that's when stuff started taking off. Uh, and the other, you know, brilliance that of your plan was you were in Texas, especially Austin, Texas. So um, because that's really not the, the case all over the country, um, you know, where I'm at, you know, Illinois last year lost 150,000 people. And uh, I, you know, and that was from 2019 to mid 2020. And I'm sure it's way more than that now. Uh, and they just seem hell bent on destroying the state because, uh, you know, they they just like shut down the entire state and just, you know, and arbitrarily picked certain, you know, tenants to, to close and other tenants to leave open. So, you know, I, as I pointed out to one of the local representatives that, you know, where we've got a, a shopping center, I'm like, so you close down a guy that has, you know, 40 stores. Uh, and most of them are in the city of Chicago. He's headquartered in the city of Chicago. But you allow Target, you know, all that money to go to Minnesota and Walmart, all that money to go to, you know, Arkansas. And you allow, you know, Amazon. Uh, and they're like, well, it's not an essential business. I'm like, oh, clothing's not an essential business, women's clothing. I'm like, well, those people are still selling women's clothing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just. It's entirely arbitrary. These poor guys in, in, in the restaurants too, they've been getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, yeah. We don't, we're lucky. We're not experiencing that at that, at any kind of level, honestly, well, it seems like it here. I mean, it's, you know, everyone has their own opinions, but we're allowed to get after it. Um, and we, no, we call I, it like I say, I, you know, I just think that uh, you're seeing, you literally are, and it's shown in demographics that there was an accelerated migration from northern states that were closed to southern states that were more open yeah. uh, and, you know, a little bit more freedom to make your own decision. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you completely, man. Yeah. We, we call it Opportunity City here. And I feel yeah. very blessed because it does seem like, you know, all these people are coming and jobs are coming. And that's the fundamentals, right? It's the right. jobs. Everything well, follows and, the jobs and taxes and pro growth, uh, because that's the other thing. I've uh, had deals. We worked on a deal in California for I can't remember now. I always, you know, the, the stuff kind of molds together. But I believe we worked on this deal for about seven years, you know, in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, it finally came down. And uh, the I think it was the, the, the city came down, but we had to go through the Coastal Commission, the city and everything. And then they came back with a um, $3 million traffic mitigation fee. Uh, and I'm like, and, and we had, you know, Target, Best Buy, it was just a you know phenomenal deal. And I'm like, well, what's the traffic mitigation fee? And it's like, well, nobody pays it. So it doesn't get built. So it mitigates the traffic. Wow. Uh, and we've had other stuff. I mean, you know, on the, in the Northeast, their, their zoning is just prohibitive. So they write the zoning laws so that you automatically have to go in and get permission from them. And then they, you know, get in the middle of everything else you're doing because you have to ask them permission. So, and it's a lot different. I, you know, on the West, you know, Nevada, you know, Texas, Florida, uh, they're just much easier to work with. And they realize that, 
Oh, and the, the real estate taxes are lower uh, yeah. in the Northeast and especially, you know, Chicago area. Some of the highest in don't tell me about Texas real estate taxes because, you know, ours <laughs> like, are, are way higher than yours. Yeah. The Real Estate Podcast is sponsored by Doyen Inspections. Doyen is a team of female professional home inspectors that serve the greater Austin area. Whether you are buying a resale, building a new home, or about to list your home for sale, the ladies at Doyen Inspections can inspect your home. They provide a color-coded and thorough inspection report full of images, videos, and explanations. Visit Doyen, that is D-O-Y-E-N-N-E, inspections.com for more information or give them a call at 512-655-9940. Now back to the episode. Well, let's uh let's give a, a general overview to the listeners of what it is what it is, you know, you've given some of your background and, and obviously I think we could probably talk real estate for 10 hours. Um an overview of what you're doing. Um you're you're buying shopping centers with investors is is that the a, a general statement correct? Like what what makes you guys different? What's your approach to overall you know growth within real estate in your business? Up until um, 2019, early 2020, we were also buying value add shopping centers, um, and so we were looking at that uh, in starting in around 2018 to you know full time 2020. Uh, we're more buying uh, single tenant, triple net lease properties uh, okay. because the evolution and especially accelerated after, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic, the evolution is for tenants to get out of malls, uh, out of inline spaces and out right next to the road where there's high visibility. There's, you know, signs that are like billboards. There's like branding opportunities and they can control, you know, you know, people coming in and out. And so they, they don't have to worry about, uh, is the mall closing right now? Is other tenants closed right now? They're, and especially uh, attractive. Uh, and, and it just, again, accelerated a thousand percent is drive-throughs. So tenants that you've never, ever would have imagined, you know, a drive-through uh, right now, uh, Dollar General and, and Dollar Tree are both looking at, you know, adding drive-throughs to, to some of their businesses. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You, and that was, you... that was a trend that started with, the, you know, the drugstores. They started coming, you know, Walgreens and CVS started coming out of, you know, an inline space and moving out to the out parcel so they could get that drive-through. Yeah. Well, I remember that was one of our hardest things is finding those drive-throughs for, for some of our clients. But with uh, real estate being the way it is, you know, it really can go all these different directions. You could, you know, start to management and whatever it may be. Do you have any kind of struggle or, th- or challenge or thoughts on you're buying these uh, single tenant, triple net leases? Um, hey, I ne- we should go build and develop these. Or is it like, hey, let's stick to what we're doing and not get sidetracked? How do you view stuff like that? Um, there are organizations out there that are phenomenal at building and selling, and they typically have a relationship with the tenant. And just like the, the real estate guy that was telling you, they go out and find the properties, they go out and get them zoned, they go out and build them. Um, and they have that stuff down. Uh, it's never been something that we have done. We've, uh, developed, probably two or three properties total. Um, we have a lot of expertise in 
major redevelopment. So we've taken uh, 900,000 uh, square foot enclosed malls, uh, 600,000 and uh, 700,000 square foot enclosed malls, three of them, and actually demalled them. So one of them, we you know, made it kind of a strip center, but kept them all on the back. Uh, you know, the other two, we just completely emptied out, uh, built around the periphery and then knocked it down. And then uh, one of them, you know, was a Walmart uh, and the other one was a Costco. So that's, you know, the type of stuff that we do. So yeah, we have the most expertise. And what I really like is um, buying existing properties because you've got immediate cash flow. Right. With development, you've got to feed the cash flow uh, potentially up to, you know, two or three years, depending on how tough the development is. Right. So I much rather prefer, and I think, you know, for, you know, to taking investor money, it's much better for them if you can get, you know, money out of the get-go. So we're yeah. buying existing Walgreens, existing, you know, CVS, existing um, medical uh, retail properties, uh, existing, we, we love convenience stores, uh, that type of thing. Yeah. So because you get immediate cash flow, uh, it's better, you know, in some respects than even value-add apartments because you're buying at uh slightly higher cap rate, you know, like in Austin, what's, what's an apartment going for now, like a three or four cap. Yeah. Yeah. So, seriously. Yeah. And so we can buy, uh, some better positioned, you know, smaller deals, uh, with a single tenant, triple net lease and, you know, out of the box get, you know, six, six and a half cap. Um, and that's, you know, pure cash flow, And then we're buying them with the knowledge that, either the rents are going to increase or we're going to increase the rents uh, at expiration. Cause if that tenant doesn't want it, we've got relationships with other tenants that would take that space. Yeah. 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 And, and on that, uh, I worked with some of those build the suit developers for those retailers. And I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, they would, they would do well, but it would be two years, three years. And they, they would actually sometimes have that same problem where they pull the plug on some of these deals it was yeah. fascinating though that you know once you do have that relationship you you get a almost get a signed lease before you close the land you know i mean it's like same time almost and it's like all right well advance auto just signed a 10 year lease i'm good to start building this pro, you know project um but i i totally understand it's a that's why i asked is like there's these rabbit holes you can go down and you might as well not if you got your own deal figured out especially if you're paying investors back you know, right away, uh, yeah. take a little less risk, probably a, maybe a little less profit. I don't know. It depends. No, there, you're, you're not going to get the profit that you would get at the development, but um, you also, you know, on the spectrum, there's like core properties, which are you know, like major metro areas. They're the best tenants, they're long-term leases. And, you know, they're just like buying super conservative bonds. And then what we're doing would be called core plus properties. Uh, so, they're not always in major markets. Some are major markets, some are in secondary markets. Uh, we also, you know, will take a little bit of lease risk because we have been operating retail properties for so long that we know whether we can release something and we know if we could release it. At, see, the other thing is certain people are like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to buy this. And, um, you know, if they expire, I'll just replace them. It's like, well, some of those Walgreens are way above market. Some of these towns and some of those, you know, 
yeah. dollar generals that you're you're seeing that are a seven cap. Some of them are you know way above market. And you're never going to replace that rent. So that's right. the type of thing that you know comes in with the core plus experience. And then the value add is um, you know uh, or development, which it would be opportunistic. Uh, that's you know something you you might not get paid for you know two years and be feeding it with a lot of cash, and then you get a nice you know pop at the end. So. Yeah. You know, one of my uh, you know good friends, and he's on our uh, on the board of Liberty Real Estate Fund, our our single tenant triple net you know lease real estate fund. Alex, you know, he uh, has developed you know build the suit properties from Alaska all the way down to Puerto Rico. So, you know, we've got the capability if we ever found that opportunity. Uh, and he also was the president of one of the largest you know publicly traded uh, net lease property REITs in the country. And he actually developed while he was there because he was so familiar with the development part of it. Uh, he did a bankable takeout. So he would work with developers that were developing property and say, we're going to negotiate a pre-built uh, you know, contract that will buy this property uh, once you get it developed. And so then the developer could go to the bank and get you know, probably like a 95, 98% loan to value loan to build their stuff. That's great. Yeah, that's yeah. super cool. So talk to me about how you uh, are incorporating blockchain. I mean, you've been doing this since the 80s, right? And blockchain wasn't a, even a, a word back then, I'm sure. Blockchain um, was not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, um, so uh, how do you, like, what gets you, you know, you're an old school real estate guy. Like, how do you start getting into blockchain? Uh, I was hanging around a bunch of really smart friends and that's, you know, gets back to, uh, and I was hanging around people that weren't necessarily in real estate. Um, so, but a lot of the people were, um, in different, you know, I, I was, I've always been in, you know, worked with, uh, different organizations for, um, how to create human flourishing through poverty alleviation. And so a lot of those people were also uh, tended to be, you know, on the libertarian or, you know, pro-freedom movement. And so they started mentioning, I, you know, one guy mentioned Bitcoin to me, I think around 2000, I, I can't, again, can't remember dates that well, but it was probably around 2014 and it just went right by me. And then in, again, in 2017, there was this thing called, um, you know, the ICO boom, and there's people raising like hundreds of millions of dollars. And then all they had was a website. And I'm just saying, this doesn't make any sense. And I even said that Bitcoin didn't make any sense because I didn't understand it back then. But it's like, this is all backed by mathematics, which basically ends up being for fiat currency. Why wouldn't you do a stable coin based on real estate? Because then you've got the stable coin uh, based on you know actual physical assets that are cash flowing, yeah. and so that's combining that with the net lease properties, which we like to describe as bonds wrapped in real estate, because they're the most secure properties that you could potentially buy, um, and you're going to just get stable cash flow. So I'm like, why not take and marry net lease properties with the blockchain ability that you've got tradeability and liquidity. Yeah. Uh, and put those into a, a, a real estate stable coin. So that's how we got down that road and um, figured out very quickly that you couldn't do an ICO because it was illegal. Um, so we're doing what's called a security token, which is uh, tradable 
you know, SEC regulated uh, securities offering. So we're just doing a fund. It would be like any other normal real estate fund that anybody would invest in, you know, a 506C fund. Uh, but Liberty Real Estate Fund also has this additional investor benefits that uh, with it, after a one-year lockup period, an investor could actually sell or trade their token and um, you know, move into something else if they wanted to. Uh, plus, there's you know, all kinds of other options. I'll, I'll leave it at that, and then we can get into yeah. that. Well, so it's kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, um, essentially, it's kind of like having your own REIT but you don't have to go through all these other steps, right? Because it's like, you're basically allowing private real estate to now be kind of like public real estate in the sense where you're just more liquid on your investment. Um, is that a good, is that a fair way to view it? Uh, exactly, because it's private real estate. So you're not going to probably have the liquidity that you would have with a REIT. Um, I don't think that you're going to get tremendous liquidity where people are going to be trading in and out of these and day trading in them. Um, but you're going to get the ability that you can manage your money and you can own you know, and control your assets much better than if you just had a paper share. Yeah. So, uh, and then the other benefit is, is that regular publicly traded REITs, uh, all that income, you know, goes on top of your existing income. So if you're in a high income tax bracket, uh, that gets added onto your income as, as like regular income. So you're paying extra taxes on that. They're just punishing you on that. And any dividends that you get, uh, you're being taxed at the highest rate on that. Uh, and a lot of, with this, it's private real estate. So the fund takes advantage of the uh, depreciation on the properties. So you're actually getting higher cash flow, but it's a tax advantage cash flow. Yeah. So there, I, I like to compare these to, you know, bonds. If somebody's investing in municipal bonds to, you know, do something that's tax advantage, why would you do a municipal bond, you know, that's like two or 3% when you can go into real estate, you know, that, that gives you the ability to get like six or 7%. Yeah. Three times as much. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. I'm, I'm super fascinated. Are you guys, would you say that you're kind of leading the charge on this? Are there other people? Do, it doesn't seem like there's many doing this. Uh, it, I, there will be a lot, lot, lot more uh, in the coming years, but right now it's uh, it's been a struggle. So it's uh, because I think, you know, especially when people equate it with cryptocurrency, they're like, oh, cryptocurrency, that's scary. That's, you know, it, you know, you're using it to buy drugs. Is it legal and all the rest of that stuff? So there's a hurdle there. Um, and then there's the other hurdle that, um, you know, the people that are in cryptocurrency look at real estate returns and they're not high enough. So, you know, because people that are investing in cryptocurrency expect everything to get like a 10,000% return. <laughs> which, you know, it, it's, you know, it, and I've, I've heard it before. It's like when moon, you know, it's like, uh, this isn't going to when moon, but if you're looking for something that is going to be consistently there and not, you know, 50,000, you know, on one day, and then, you know, down to like 2000 the next day, uh, you, you might want to take a look at real estate. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not following. You said, uh, when moon, what is, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's what the, uh, crypto guys would, would ask me. So it's, when is it going to go to shoot to the moon? Oh, when, when to the, oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Is it a moonshot? Yeah. 
Weird times, man. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I like, I like blockchain. I like crypto. The more I learn about it, the more I like it. Um, it's who knows, uh, when I first thought about it, I, all I could think about was uh, tulip mania. If you've ever heard yeah. of that. Yeah. And yeah. then over time I'm like, wait a minute, maybe not, you know, so it's just fascinating. Well, I think if you divorce all the, you know, I, there's some crypto projects that I, I really do like Bitcoin and I, I do like other crypto projects for the, the fact that they, you know, Bitcoin is like a digital gold and there's other ones that are going to be the next AT&T and Verizons of the world because um, AT&T and Verizon have networks that, you know, transfer communications and some of these larger projects like an Algorand or an Avalanche or uh, Solana or Ethereum. I like Algo and Cardano. Yeah. And, and those are built to transfer value. So yeah. just like you could, you know, today do a text and communicate um, at some point in the very near future, you're going to be doing a text to transfer value, whether it's buying an asset, whether it's, you know, me sending money to you, it'll all be done on your phone. And it'll just be like, I can buy you know, a piece of an office building in London for $50 and I can just do it on my phone right here. And that's the underlying technology of blockchain allows you to do that. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's fat. You know, Algo is one that I bought and it, it literally pays you every day. Yeah. And I'm like, man, either this is the greatest thing ever, or it's a great scam. Cause it's, it's showing me that I'm getting paid every day. I've never seen anything like it. It's like, I'm getting like $2 a day, but it's, it feels pretty cool. Yeah. No. And the other thing I, I really like about Algo is for financial assets, um, it's great because the transaction fees, we were going to issue our security token on Ethereum and the transaction fees on Ethereum, they started, you know, the people that are our are, are, um, securitization platform securitized. They're like, yeah, um, we were covering the fees to like do the issuance, but now you're going to have to do that. And with Ethereum, if you've got um, 800 investors, it's going to be around $600,000. <laughs> like what? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then we started looking at alternatives and Algorand and Avalanche, both are widely uh, decentralized. Uh, they're great projects. Algorand especially has some a really top team behind it. And uh, they are less expensive and faster than Ethereum to transact on. That's cool. That's so super cool. It's like perfect for real estate. I'm gonna go buy some more algo. <laughs> well, hey man, I, I think we might have to do another one because we could keep going and going and going. Um, but I really appreciate your time. And, and I guess two things. Um, one piece of advice for entrepreneurs, um, could be anything, and then two ways that people could get a hold of you or get involved in, in things that you have going on. Sure. Well, I, I would say that um, I want to be as positive as possible. And it, you need to have a positive mental attitude. You need to have a, a, a positive mindset. But um, it's not all, you know, uh, roses and sunshine. It, it's, you know, there's times when, you know, you're on your last, you know, where, where am I going to, how am I going to make this payment? And, uh, you know, it there is up and downs, there's cycles. Uh, we've been you know, and we just got a little bit of a taste of it last year, but uh, we've been on, you know, the longest bull run, but there are, you know, things where, you know, stuff comes up. So I would say that uh, you have to prepare yourself mentally that 
you know, sometimes, sometimes it goes great and it's like, that's fantastic and everything, you know, works out. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, there's not only big obstacles and big problems that you got to hit, but um, there's also the little day-to-day stuff that you got to keep up with. So, and it, it, sometimes it grinds on you. All right, guys, let's talk about today's sponsor. Glenn LeBlanc and Supreme Lending have been serving the Austin market for 20 plus years. They are a local lender with in-house underwriting, so you're kept in the loop every step of the way. Whether you're doing a cash out for home repairs or a first time home buyer, Glenn makes the lending process smooth and easy to navigate. Always available and able to educate buyers along the way. Choose a local lender when buying your next home. Call 512-672-9472 anytime. And if you say you heard this ad on our podcast, Glenn will refund your appraisal if you use him. Definitely reach out to Glenn. Glenn is a personal friend of ours. The link to his website is in the description below. Now back to the episode. I like to say that the entrepreneurial journey isn't like a straight line up. It's sometimes like a corkscrew and sometimes you end up going back, you know, and then as long as you make the turn and you keep going, you know, make the turn to go higher. Uh, that's the way to do it. That's cool. That's some wisdom, man. I know you got a lot of it from, from doing what you do. Appreciate that. Um, so it's not always a flight to the moon. <laughs> um, what about, uh, what, what are ways people can, you know, we as well add value for you, help you out, uh, get involved in, in what you have going on. Are you, are you trying to bring on more investors? Like what are ways people can, we are on? actively looking for investors and we, you know, like to, you know, educate you, help you out. So, um, we've got a ton of information on our website, libertyfund.io. So not only, um, can you you know learn about investing in our specific product, but you can also learn about net lease property investing. Uh, and we also have a lot of information. We've got a um, free report on blockchain real estate. Uh, so that's something that you know we like just like to add as much value, and you know we like to be as educational as possible because I want people to feel completely comfortable investing in, you know, whether it's our products or whether it's somebody else's, but it's like, we want to have a, a, you know, I'm, I'm interested in long-term relationships. I I told you I've had, you know, some relationships in this business going back, you know, 32, 34 years. So, you know, we're here to have longer term relationships. We want you to be, you know, an educated investor. We want you to be comfortable with what you're investing in. Uh, But we also, you know, have a lot of stuff. So, I have a podcast called Nothing But Net, uh, and that's where we explain, you know, how to do net lease property investing. And uh, we are also next week, and Matt is going to be there. I'm looking forward to meeting him in person and having a drink with him. The Blockchain Real Estate Summit, uh, we're putting that on so that we're bringing people from the industry together so that if you are a capital raiser, um, you can kind of see how to do, you know, the... uh, do a security token yourself. What are the you know things that you need to put it together? And if you're a potential investor and you're interested in learning more about you know real estate and blockchain and tradable private real estate, uh, you could go to the you know. And so this might come out after that, but we're going to have a website up with different information that it'll be a resource for people to say, "I want to learn more about this." That's great, man. I'm excited to meet you and uh, get you here in Opportunity City. So thank you for your time and uh, we'll keep it rolling and stay in touch. And uh, I hope you have a great day. So appreciate everything. Thank you. So the two websites that they can go to is libertyfund.io 
and blockchainrealestatesummit.com. But I really appreciate the time, Matt, today. It was a great call. Yeah, man. And uh, nothing but net podcast. Thank you. All right. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you, Michael.